Jesus is indeed a powerful name. And he does have ultimate and complete love and care for us. But it's interesting to note that sometimes love is not lovey-dovey. Sometimes love doesn't feel uh, quite so loving. Sometimes when someone in love has to help us understand something that we did not understand before, has to lead us in a new path, has to direct us, then it may not always feel loving, but it is love when it's done out of a heart of love and concern. And Jesus, he kind of says to us, there's something you're a little bit slow on. You Christians, you need a little bit of help. And so we're going to be reading from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 16. And as you're turning there, I want to mention the context. Luke, chapter 15, is the the three parables all about God's amazing love and how he goes after uh, people. It begins with the parable of the lost sheep. Remember, there are 99. One goes missing. He leaves the flock with the other shepherds, and he goes to seek that one. And he carries that sheep back tenderly across his shoulders with, that, with those legs crossed across his chest. The shepherd carries back that lost sheep. And then the second parable is about the woman who her total wealth, her total possession in the whole world amounted was 10 coins. And she lost one of those 10 And the Bible says she turned up the house upside down, sweeping and looking for coins. Things happened. They say, the the archaeologists who study it say they often can date these ancient homes because the floors had lots of cracks and coins would slip down into them. And that's how they know when that home was built because that coin would date back to them. And so this woman was afraid that her One of her very ten coins had slipped down in a crack, and she turns on a lamp, and she gets out the broom, and she does everything she can to find that coin. And then the most famous of the parables, the the last one and the longest one, is the parable of the prodigal son, or you might say the parable of, of the two sons, or the parable of the loving father, however you want to put it. But we know about that son who goes off to a far country, and he wastes the wealth that he had rudely demanded before his father had even passed. In other words, he was saying, you know, I wish you were dead, Dad, because I want what's coming to me now. And he goes off and wastes it in a far country. And we remember how he comes back, not even as a son, but hopefully to be a slave. And the father will hear nothing of that slave business He says, this is my son. Put the best robe we have on him, which would have been the father's robe. He says, get him a a signet ring that identifies him as part of the family. Kill the fatted calf because my son who once was lost now is found. And so he told that story, all of those stories about some folks, some religious folks who were kind of disgruntled with Jesus because he dared to rub elbows, rub shoulders uh, with some people who weren't so religious and who weren't so pure. And then in the the next chapter, or excuse me, the end of this chapter, after the passage we're going to read today, there's a parable about the rich man 
and Lazarus. And this is not Lazarus, the brother of Mary and Martha. This is a different Lazarus. This is a, a poor man who sat at the rich man's gate every single day, and, and he starved. He didn't even get the crumbs off the man's table. He got nothing. But then the, in the afterlife, there's a complete reversal of roles. The rich man in torment lifts up his eyes and says, Father Abraham, can you send Lazarus to dip his finger in cool water and, and, and just touch it on my tongue because I am tormented by these flames. And Father Abraham says, you know what? You got good things in life. You lived it up. You didn't care anything about the poor man who was starving at your gate. You were totally focused on yourself, and you got all you wanted in that life, but now in this life, the tables are turned, and he who had nothing now has everything. He said, and besides, there's a barrier. Sorry, can't send Lazarus. And notice, by the way, that the rich man still sees Lazarus. He finally notices him, but he only sees him as someone who can help him, someone he can use to feel better about himself because to relieve his torment. So in the middle of those two parables or the sets of parables, we get this story and it's called uh, by different names, but generally speaking, it's called the parable of, of the um, unjust or dishonest manager or steward. And it's all about a man who worked for a really, really rich guy. Let's call him uh, the, the Bill Gates or the Elon Musk or one of these super billionaire, millionaire. This guy worked for him. And he turns out to be less than good at what he is doing. But Jesus ends up pointing to this man as an example, this dishonest man, as an example for us. And so we're going to look at this passage and we're going to see why this is. We're beginning today a series called Money and Me. And each week we're looking at different things the Bible has to say about money. Is it four weeks of you should give more? No, it's not. Go ahead, your wallets feel relief. That's not what this is all about. It's a big picture of what God's Word has to say about us and money. And today the point is that money matters in a way that most of us never understand. And you're like, oh, I understand. Light bill comes, tuition comes, this comes. I know you understand that. But money matters in ways that are far beyond simply paying the bills and building up the retirement accounts. And that's what this story is all about. So I want to invite you to stand with me now in honor and reverence for the reading of God's Word as we read uh, this parable from Luke chapter 16. We're going to read verses 1 through 14. Jesus told this story to his disciples. There was a certain rich man who had a manager handling his affairs. One day a report came that the manager was wasting his employer's money. So the employer called him in and said, what's this I hear about you? Get your report in order, because you are going to be fired. The manager thought to himself, now what? My boss has fired me. I don't have the strength to dig ditches, and I'm sure too proud to beg. Aha, I know how to ensure that I'll have plenty of friends who will give me a home when I'm fired. 
So he invited each person who owed money to his employer to come and discuss the situation. He asked the first one, how much do you owe him? The man replied, I owe him 800 gallons of olive oil. So the manager told him, take the bill and quickly change it to 400 gallons. How much do you owe my employer? He asked the next man. I owe him 1,000 bushels of wheat, was the reply. Here, the manager said, take the bill and change it to 800 bushels. The rich man had to admire the dishonest rascal for being so shrewd. And it is true that the children of this world are more shrewd in dealing with the world around them than are the children of the light. Here's the lesson. Use your worldly resources to benefit others and make friends. Then when your possessions are gone, they will welcome you to an eternal home. If you are faithful in little things, you will be faithful in large things. But if you are dishonest in little things, you won't be honest with greater responsibilities. And if you are untrustworthy about worldly wealth, who will trust you with the true riches of heaven? And if you are not faithful with other people's things, why should you be trusted with things of your own? No man can serve two masters, for you will hate the one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. The Pharisees who dearly loved their money heard all this and scoffed at him. Let's pray. Lord God, we pray that you would take uh, this word from the gospel of Luke. Jesus' teachings would be opened in our minds today. And God, we would see what you have for us, what you want us to understand about the way that we use our money and possessions in this life. God, we pray and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. I realize we have a lesser amount of time for this message today because we've had communion and last week I uh, didn't leave you guys much Sunday school, so we're going to try to work on that. We're going to try to keep this uh, simple today. So I want us to see three things that we don't, that Christians, we often don't understand about money. This is what, how money matters. This is what Jesus wants us to get Let's talk about the story, though. Why in the world is Jesus praising this dishonest business manager? A guy, let's recap it real quick. A guy uh, who manages money for this super ultra billionaire, all of a sudden his boss man comes in one day and says, hey, what's this I hear about you wasting your money? And the term reflects back to Luke chapter 15, where we heard about the prodigal son who went out and wasted all his money. So in other words, so far, he's not necessarily dishonest with the money. He's just wastefully using it. The rich man has told him, hey, you know, handle my wealth. Take care of yourself while you do it. I'm generous. I want you to just handle everything. Take care of yourself. But this guy, he took advantage of it, and he went too far, and, and he was sloppy and lazy with the rich man's account. And finally, even though he's rich and even though he could probably spare some of the money, he said, you know, this, this is not happening anymore. Dude, your time here is about to be over. I want you to get one final report out of, 
uh, put before me, you know, and then you can clean out your desk and go. Well, apparently back then they didn't know about going ahead and, you know, uh, changing the locks and everything before <laughs> when you fired someone. He actually thought the guy would do what he was supposed to do. And the guy says, oh, man, I've got this sweet gig. I've had this job. I've been on the gravy train. It is awesome. And now I'm, I'm about to be out. And I don't, no one else is going to give me a job like this. And, and, and I'm down on my back. I can't go out there and dig. And I'm sure too proud to beg. Y'all have heard, ain't too proud to beg? That wasn't this guy, okay? He was too proud to beg. And he says, how in the world am I going to get out there and who's going to take me in? He says, I, I know. He says, you know what? These are tough times. Some of these folks who've got accounts with my master, you know, they may not be billionaires like him, but they're millionaires. You know, they're, they're kind of pretty wealthy themselves. And, you know, if just one of them would take me in, everything would be almost as good as it's now. Comes in, hey, how much do you owe? A uh, hundred thousand. You know what? what? How much of that do you think you could pay? I got 80. I don't have the 100,000. Let's just, you know, between you and me, because we're friends and all, let's just mark that down to 80. And goes to the next guy. Well, how much, how much do you owe on your account? Well, it's, it's about um, 30 grand. Let's just make that 20. You know, that, that's, we're, we're all friends here. Let's just make that right. And he goes around and, and and does that with all sorts of people. And so that everybody in the whole area, man, they've all got a discount. You know, it's, it's like if you just went through the line at Walmart. And at the very end, you know, the, the cashier looks at you and says, huh, you know, Charlie, I like you. I've seen you shopping here a lot of times. And uh, I'm just going to knock a little money off. You'd feel a lot better about shopping at Walmart that day. And so... Everybody feels good about this, and the rich man comes in, and he finds out, of course, he finds out what's going on. But here's the trick. Everybody has now praising the rich man because of his generosity and because, because he has reduced their debts. And so now he's got this reputation as a kind rich man, and everybody's talking good about him. And he, while he could throw the servant into jail... And he couldn't say, no, 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 this wasn't me. He's caught in a bind because, you know, he doesn't want to lose the good reputation. And so he goes to this manager, he says, you rascal. <laughs> you rascal. You're clever. You're a dog, but you're a clever dog. You, you, are, you are smart. I've got to give you credit, you old rascal. You're smarter than I took you for. And here's where Jesus says, the people of this world are often more clever about how they use money to accomplish worldly things than the people of the light, that is, believers, are in using their money. So when people read this story... And they get all confused and they say, how can Jesus be praising this guy who was dishonest and wasted wealth? And, and Jesus was not praising his dishonesty. Jesus was not praising his laziness. Jesus was not uh, praising his, his wasting. Jesus was praising the cleverness which with he thought ahead 
and planned ahead for what was coming next. You see, the Bible tells us in the book of Proverbs that we are to be wise as serpents, but innocent as doves. We should be shrewd. We should be thinking. We should be planning about how we use everything in life, but especially money. It's important that we understand that as Christians, we can easily say, ah, I got God and here I got money and this is a worldly thing, but this is a, you know, this other stuff is God stuff. And he's saying money, number one, here's point number one for you, for your note takers, money is a tool. Money is simply a tool for Christians to accomplish what we need to accomplish in this life. But unlike the worldly people, unlike this dishonest manager, we're not simply looking for who's going to give us the next job. He says, use that money that you may have eternal friendships, that you might be welcomed in your eternal home. In other words, your use of money should be governed by several thoughts. And here's the first one, that what I do with my money, if I invest it in in a company, that company can go bankrupt tomorrow. If I spend it on simply on pleasures, those pleasures will be over with and the memories will fade. But if I spend my money touching people with the gospel of Jesus Christ, if I spend my money reaching out and loving on a world that desperately needs to be loved, then that money will never be lost. And in fact, one day, as I am in heaven, imagine this picture. Someone walks, you know, we always talk, especially like Funerals or times like this, we think about, you know, who are you going to see? Oh, we're going to see Jesus, and then we're going to see family. But what about the other people? We don't really talk about that usually, the other people we're going to see. And imagine that, that you walk into those gates, and someone says, hey, thank you. Thank you so much for what you did. And they're a complete and total stranger. And I say, oh, you know, you sent that money for the homeless, and, and it was just about over. And then another one comes up. Oh, you know what? You dropped some money in the Salvation Army. And someone else comes up and says, hey, you know what? You don't remember me, but you are that one. And, and, I, and I said, you know, we'll work for food. And, and, and you offered me food, and I took it because I really did want food. And on and on it could go to people who you have helped in ways that you may not ever remember. And you might think, sometimes you might give some money to somebody, well, I probably just wasted 20 bucks there because you know how they're going to go out and use it. And in reality, God says that type of money is never wasted. When you reach out and you help people who cannot uh, help themselves, you are uh, planning, you are using it as a tool for the life to come. Secondly, money is a test. It's a tool for blessing others, and second, it's a test for eternity. Jesus goes on and he says, if you are faithful in little things, then you will be faithful in large ones. But if you are dishonest with little things, you'll be dishonest with large things also. In other words, every single bit of the money that that flows through your life 
I, I don't care whether you're the poorest person in here or the richest person in here. All of it to God, it's pocket change. I mean, it is completely insignificant. It's really, really, really small. And you say, oh, great, no big deal then. I can spend it however I want because it doesn't matter. And God says, oh, no, absolutely not. That little tiny bit of money that you have matters immensely to God because it is a test to you. And some of you are saying, amen, it's a test. I'm trying to figure out how to stretch it. I, I, don't, I don't know what I can do. But it is a test to you from God. And he is evaluating. This is like when someone maybe is, is hired on a trial period. And we're saying, you know, how well are they going to do? And I'll decide before I move, I'd like to move them up. I'd like to put them in, in a really great position. But I'm going to test them in the mail room first. I'm going to test them uh, as a runner or, you know, in, in a job that they may not necessarily like. And I'm going to see how their character comes through. And then we'll think about rewarding them. And God is saying that everything we do with, with money in life is a test. And remember, just like there was a rich man, and the money was never belonged to the manager. The Bible tells us over and over, the earth is the Lord's and all that's in it. Okay, so all of us, no matter how bad we were at accounting or math, all of us are financial managers for the Lord. That's a little scary, isn't it? But all of us have been given resources from him, and he said, I love you. I'm generous. I want you to take care of yourself. I don't want you to go hungry. I, I want you to, you know, do good things for yourself and your family. But listen, remember that it's mine, and I want you to manage it well, and I want you to use it well to build my kingdom, my business, my interests. That's why I've given you money. And so all of us are managers for God. And this right now is the trial period. This life, 70, 80, 90 years, and sometimes much, much shorter, but however long it lasts, the Bible says life is like a vapor. This is a little tiny pop quiz, and God says how we serve him in eternity, how we are rewarded in eternity all that is based on his evaluation of how we use money in this life. So money is a test. And finally, I want to say money is a trap. Money is a trap. Verse 13, no one can serve two masters. For you will hate one and you will love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. The old... Uh, the older translations say mammon. You cannot serve both God and mammon. And mammon was simply a word, you know, the New Testament was written in Greek, but this was not a Greek word really. It was a word brought over from the Aramaic language. And uh, it was, it just meant money and possessions, but it was, it was kind of personified in a person. It's just like when we talk about the government, um, and, and how it works, and what do we say? We say, Uncle Sam. I heard a guy in a restaurant the other day. One guy asked another guy, what did you do after high school? I guess they hadn't seen each other in a long time. It's like, I went to work for Uncle Sam. And the other guy was a little slow on the uptake. What are you talking about? I went in the military, you know. And, and Uncle Sam is our government personified. Well, mammon is money and wealth personified. 
And what Jesus is saying is money will all, because we all have to deal with it. Lots of us say, I hate money. What do we say that when we don't have enough of it? <laughs> when when, when the, the month uh, is longer than the paycheck. And so, but we all have to deal with it. And the Bible says you can't serve God and mammon. Because money is always a temptation, no matter how little or how much you have of it. It is a temptation because it calls out for our hearts, and we have to use it as a tool, but resist it as a God. And I want to tell you, the Bible tells us plenty of times uh, that money can become a God. The Bible tells us that greed is idolatry. We can literally, we can say we serve God, and we can worship money through our actions. And even the culture around us, around us acknowledges that idolatry because that's why we have the phrase, the almighty dollar. The almighty dollar. Rather than almighty God, our world says the God we serve is the almighty dollar. And so you and I have to understand that money is not only a test, but it is a trap waiting and so you and I constantly have to evaluate. This is not something you can say, you know, I got that right with the Lord back in 1954, and I've never been tempted by material things again. No, each of us, all the time, no matter how right we may be with the Lord in our heart, using, you know, loving people and using money rather than using people and loving money, we might be right on that one day and the next day. It may all be gone. It may all go away. Because our hearts are always being tempted. And so we have to stay vigilant. That mammon or money, wealth, and possessions, the almighty dollar does not take the place of almighty God in our hearts. How are we, uh, let's see, where are we at on time? We're almost there, past there, but we're going to say almost there. <laughs> I, re I really would like to try a trick, but I don't think it would work here. My father-in-law, when he was still alive, he would say, how many of y'all will give me five more minutes? And folks would raise their hand, and he'd say, five, 10, 15, 20, 25. <laughs> so that won't work here because none of y'all would raise your hand. So I'm not even going to ask. I'm just going to take that extra five minutes. Let me say this. Um, several years ago, I noticed that my children, um, even though I raised them to speak English or the good old Southern version of English, I noticed that somehow, and this was especially my girls, Caleb not so much, but my girls, they started using these terms and these phrases that I just didn't understand. I just, I just couldn't get. And I, I started to list them one day, and this has been a while back because I'm going to say these words, and they're going to, after church, we're going to go home and they're like, Dad, I don't say that. I'm like, yes, you did. Oh, that was so seventh grade. And I'm going to like, okay, sorry. So this is a disclaimer. Some of these words are just so seventh grade. But I remember um, I, I wrote down just a few of those words, and they would either be a new word or they'd be a word used in a totally different way. One of them was savage. They say, that's so savage. I thought that meant something bad. I mean, savage doesn't sound good to me, but it, it doesn't. In fact, one time, and I might be getting this story wrong, okay? So if I am, 
Sorry, let's just say it's a made-up story. But one time, I think, I think it was Marin, and, and she, uh, she was talking to Miss Vaughn, and, and she said, Miss Vaughn, you're a little savage. And, and she said, you know, Miss Vaughn kind of looked at me funny, and I said, I bet she did. She didn't know that was a compliment, you know. Um, fam, all of a sudden, goodbye to I-L-Y. There's no family. It's just fam, and, and, and then it can be anybody. Bay, my bay, that was an interesting one. Um, on point, everything for a while. There was about a year or two when everything that ever happened, oh, that is on point. You know, it's just great. And then goals. Goals was another one. Not like I set goals for my life. Just someone says something or, or you see the perfect couple, uh, relationship goals. That is just so great, you know. <laughs> then there was triggered Everything. I am so triggered, you know. Um, apparently, that meant that just set you off, and it was a big thing. Uh, smash, as in I smashed on that taco. I like that one. Flame on. That was um, that was kind of to really toast someone, to really cut them down. Um, I guess I'm probably getting this all wrong because I'm dad mode, but I'm just telling you. Then there was on fleek, kind of like on point, but I don't, I don't know. Hopefully, I'm not saying bad words. Um, <laughs> then there was shook, like as in these girls are shook right now that I am saying all this. It's, oh, I'm so shook. And, uh, and then lit, that is so lit, you know. It was great. And so these words were always interesting to me. And those are some of the ones kind of from the past few years. But there's been one that's kind of dominated lately over the past few months and years. And this word is mood. Now, I never thought that mood was a just, you know, what kind of mood you're in. I mean, but all of a sudden I started hearing these girls every time someone said something like, this homework is too hard. Mood. Uh, you know, uh, that, that boy is so cute. Oh, that is a whole mood. That is a total mood. And so, um, you know, that, that's a whole mood. That's a mood. That's a total. All that, and I'm like, I do not get this at all. I completely do not understand this whole mood thing. And so last night we were, we were leaving the game for Mississippi State. And oh, what a glorious night that was. And we're leaving out. And I'm hearing people as we go down yelling, maroon, white. I mean, this is not even bully doing it. This is just spontaneous. People are breaking out maroon and white. And everywhere people are doing the cowbells are all so happy. Everyone who thought we were going to get smoked in this game and somehow we won. And everybody's coming out and we, we finally get out of there. And there's this college kid and his face is lit up like he's just won a million bucks. And he's calling somebody and he's like, we just beat Auburn. And, and, and Courtney goes, mood. And I'm like, I get it. Mood. Yes. Mood. That is me. I finally understand mood because I was just right there with that fella. Well, I am hoping that today when it comes to your use of money, that you can say mood with Jesus or at the least say Amen, which is kind of a slightly more churchy way of saying mood when it means you get it. 
It means you feel the same way. You agree with what's going on. And I hope you can see that Jesus has told us something by using this really bad character who had one redeeming thing about him and that he was smart in the way he used money. He was immoral in how he used those smarts, but he was smart about using it. Jesus is saying, I want you Christian people to quit thinking that money itself is necessarily evil or that you shouldn't worry about it because it's not spiritual. He's saying, I want you to understand, Christian people, you need to be smart about the way you use money. It's a tool, it's a test, and it's a trap. And if you realize those things and if you live accordingly, then you'll please God and you'll use money the way he wants it to be used. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, God, I come to you. Lord, I just thank you so much that you bless us. God, almost every single one of us in this place, we have above the bare minimum. We are, we are blessed, not just with food, clothing, and shelter, but we have things even beyond those basics that we enjoy every day and we, just, we take for granted. God, we, we don't even think about how good you are. And I want to stop and just praise you right now, God, because you bless us so much. God, I want to ask that you would help us to get a grip on this idea of money. That it's not simply, oh, there's this duty I have to give or, oh, man, there's a building fund and I guess I should contribute. But rather that money is one of the most spiritual things in our life. The way we view it, the way we handle it, has everything to do with us being in the right attitude with you, of our hearts being the way you want them to be. So God, help us to use money, not people, to love people, but to use money as a tool to understand that we're in a trial period right now as you evaluate how we use it and to realize that there is a temptation, there is a trap that we must avoid with money. God, bring these things into our heart in a deeply convincing way so that we can say amen to the truth of your word. We agree and we live it out. Lord, bless now this time of invitation we have. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. It's your opportunity to respond to the Lord's work in your life today. Maybe you have a public decision to make to come and to unite with this church or you have some other public decision uh, to make. You come and make that, I'd be glad to receive you. Maybe you simply uh, need prayer and I would love to pray with you over whatever's going on in your life or you simply need to kneel at the altar. Whatever it is God's calling you to do, you respond to him. You say yes, Lord, to God. Would you stand, please?